So we're in this series because this is how we should read the Bible. We're not doing a series on one story because we're like hipster and cool and it's just like we're different. It's, we're not different. We're doing this because this is historically the, the way you're supposed to read the Bible is to see it as one um, story that is unfolding as God is working in humanity and in the world. When we read the Bible as one unified story, we can interpret, interpret the Bible with the Bible, which is how it's supposed to be done. This is called hermeneutics, just a fancy word for interpretation. When we read the Bible as one unified story, we can read it on its own terms, meaning the original author's intent, God's original intent, not, and not adapting it, um, not adapting the Word of God to our lives, but adapting our lives to the Word of God. We can better understand it so that we can form our lives according to God's Word. When we read as one unified story, it, may, it just makes us better Bible readers. It just makes us understand who God is better and understand when we're reading, if, whether you have your quiet time in the morning or read in community group or read with your family, we can just understand what's happening better. We just become better Bible readers. And another thing that happens when we read the Bible as one unified story is we don't unhealthily separate the New and the Old Testament. Um, and this, these two are unified by our main theme, by Jesus. Um, you ask, what will happen if we don't read the Bible this way? Maybe. Maybe you, you're okay with it. Maybe, but maybe you're against it. Well, if you don't read the Bible as one unified story, there's multiple things that can happen. One thing is that you can treat it merely, treat different stories in it as merely just random, inspiring tales or advice or stories separately. And that's just not how it is. For example, you read the story of David and Goliath. If I just read that story and read myself into that story, that one story, I'd read that I'm, as a small guy, I can defeat the giants in my life. You know, I have, I have a chance in this world. But if we read the Bible as one big unified story, we see that that's actually God's work in establishing his kingdom, establishing his king for his people. So if we, read, if we don't read the Bible as one unified story, we can merely treat it as inspiring stories along the way. If we don't read the Bible as one unified story, we can just treat it like a book of rules. If we don't read it as a unified story, we can find that there are things that could contradict itself if we don't read it as one unified story, as one unfolding story. And if we don't, and the result of that is you extract incorrect beliefs about God, incorrect doctrine about God, and incorrect ways to live out your faith. And so reading the Bible like this is important and crucial to your faith. Good things come from it and bad things will happen if you don't do it this way. And the whole idea about the story is that we all live our lives, like I said last week, according to a story. You live your life according to the story that you are most captivated by, most compelled by. And if you're not compelled by the story of Scripture, you will, whether intentionally or not, live your life according to a different story. A story that will lead you in the wrong way, lead you to the way of death, lead you to the way of pride, of, of malice, lead you in the way that God doesn't want you to go. You must, we must be, seek to be compelled by God's one unified story so that our lives can reflect that story and we can follow what God wants in our lives. <clears throat> so last week we talked about creation. We, we read all the way, all, through, all of Genesis 1 and a little bit of Genesis 2. And it was good. It was really good and easy and, and happy. And, and so I, I have a, a self-diagnosed disease called RSF, resting, smiling face. And so today, we're talking about sin, which is not something to be smiling about. Um, and so I have to confess to you guys that this is a hard 
thing for me to stand up here um, and do because it's my my natural inclination is to just be happy and joyful, whether I'm saying good things or bad things. Like my, I usually just have a big smile on my face. Caleb even says that's the biggest difference between us two is that he has the opposite of RSF. I'm not going to tell you what that is. Um, most of you probably know. Um, and I have RSF. That's how we compliment each other. I'm happy and he's angry. <laughs> He's not, he's not angry. He's just, he just takes life more seriously than I do. <laughs> um, but I need to confess that to you guys is that this is hard for me. Um, talking about just the bad things. Most 90% of what we hear today is going to be sad and hard um, because there's a problem. Um, you know, we, we read at the beginning of creation that all things were good and God made things good and with beautiful intention. But if you just look at your life or look at the world around you, we know that that's just not the reality that we live in anymore. All things aren't good. You know, we have been hurt. You have hurt people. We experience disease and people die and, and bad things happen around us. And we have to address that. And that is a part of the story. It's a part of God's unified story as it unfolds in Scripture. And so today we're going to ask three questions. What happened to bring in this bad, this brokenness, this sin? We're going to ask, is it really that bad? And we're going to ask, is there any hope? So first we're going to look at what happened. And so we read the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter of the Bible in creation, but there's also a second account that is complementary to the first account in Scripture. But I didn't want to read, we don't have enough time to read that much. And so I'm just going to give you a quick recap of the second part of creation. Um, and this is really a zoomed-in version in the rest of chapter 2 of creation, zoomed-in version on the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. Um, he, he, establishes his, he establishes the Garden of Eden. He establishes all these rivers with these fine metals that run through it and, and, and gives Adam and Eve more specific instructions. And it's a more, it's a more personal, personal account of what God did in creation um, for his people. We read in... In verse 15 and 17, God tells, gives them their first negative command. He says, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or else you will die. Everything else is do this, do this, do this. This is the first where he says, do not do this. He places a tree in the garden that is the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, do not do this or else you will surely die. And this is the backdrop of what we are about to read. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible... Um, whether acoustic or electric, pull it out. I'm going to be reading from my Bible, but it will also be on the screen. So follow along with me as we read Genesis 3. <clears throat> now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtain, obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the garden of Eden to guard the way of the tree to the way the way to the tree of life. <clears throat> so that's the account of the fall. Adam and Eve had all that they needed. All they had to be fruitful. All they needed to carry out the vocations that God gave them to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have perfect relationship with each other, with the world that they were put in, and with God, everything they had. Yet they still disobeyed. They still chose the way that God forbid them from choosing. And this is what we subscribe um, the doctrine of original sin. This is what we subscribe this happening from, that we are all sinful because of this disobedience in the fall. But we overlook too much when we just say that the first sin that was committed and then ushered in all brokenness and sin for us was just disobedience. The tree, which they were forbidden from eating from, had a name with a meaning. And that meaning interprets the nature of the sin. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. The, or the ability to decide for yourself what is good and bad for you and the world. This is how it's understood in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3, we see that God has the knowledge of good and evil. In 1 Kings 3.29, I'm not going to read it, but Solomon prays that he could have the knowledge of good and evil. In Deuteronomy 1.39, little kids we see don't yet have it. In 2 Samuel 19.35, we see that senile people don't have it anymore. And so it's through the Old Testament, it's seen that this knowledge of good and evil is understood as for us to be able to understand and choose for ourselves what is good and bad. So it's not simply disobedience that brought in sin, but it's disobedience and in, in choosing for ourselves what we want to be good and bad. The capacity and right to decide what is good is good and bad, to take God's role. God forbid them from taking from God what was his role to make their own, yet they did it. This is at the root of all brokenness and sin in the world. The desire to decide for ourselves what is good and bad and right and wrong. And this disobedience to this command undid and distorted 
obviously a lot of things. In the creation, we see that God made man, ma- mankind in the image of, of God. In the fall, man tried to become God and then covered the image of God with fig leaves. In creation, we're supposed to rule over the created things. In the fall, we are ruled by the created thing, the serpent. In creation, we're told to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. In the fall, we want to take up God's vocation of deciding, of having authority, of deciding what is good and bad. In creation, we are called to work the ground and keep it in Eden, in the perfect garden that God created for us. In the fall, we're cast out of Eden, and working the ground and taking care of the earth is going to suck. In creation, we have beautiful, perfect relationship between man and woman, and now in the fall, they are contrary to one another. In creation, the man and the woman are naked and unashamed. In the fall, they end up ashamed and cast out. Everything that happens in Genesis 3 is an undoing and distortion of what God intended in Genesis 1 and 2. All things distorted and messed up. That's what happened. Man and woman disobeyed, ate from the tree to decide for themselves what is good and bad. That is what happened. And my next question is, is it that bad? And I don't, and I don't act this, ask this to just like have a cheesy segue, but this is a real question that kind of exists in all of us, in, in our society, especially right here in the United States. We like to downplay things. We like to say everything will, everything will work out. Everything is going to be just fine. It's just a hiccup in, in, the, in the plan. But no, it's, it is that bad. It, it's bad. It's not good. This is the, the, the doctrine of total depravity. All people have sinned in them are unable to save themselves or fulfill themselves. Genesis tells us a story that imparts the sin to all people. But in Romans 5, Paul expounds on it. He exposits it. Romans 5.12, actually I'll have it on screen, says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sin. So all people have sin in them. Every person ever has brokenness in them, has yuck in them. 1 Kings 8.46, For there is no one who does not sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Psalm 143, 1 through 2, David playing for himself and says that no one living is righteous before you. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so all throughout scripture, all throughout the unified story, it is seen that all people are broken. All people in their nature are sinful. And I actually don't even think I need to tell you all the scriptures because you can see it yourself. You can see it in yourself. You can see it in the people around you. And if you don't see it in yourself, that's pride. So you got it. (laughs) Just wanted to put that out there. Every person has yuck in them. Every person has bad in them. Every person has sin in them. And it's all throughout the world. So the answer to the question, is it that bad? The answer is yes, it is extremely bad. It is a problem. In it, we have four relationships that are distorted. Our relationship to ourselves. We see that, that sin introduced shame and insecurity. Adam and Eve covered themselves up. This introduced shame and insecurity into the world. We all want to cover ourselves up. We all want to look better. We all want to cover up who it is that God made us to truly be. Our relationship to God. We're uncomfortable in his presence. We're scared. Adam hid from him. The story 
or the history of humanity without Jesus is the history is the story of man running from God. Without Jesus, we're running from him. We are opposite of him, walking the opposite direction and hiding from him. We, ruined our, we distorted our relationships to each other. Immediately, the man blames the woman. Adam blames Eve. Blame shifting, self-justification. Our, our relationships are broken and fractured because of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. And the last relationship is our relationship to the earth. We will toil, and it will be hard, and it will produce thorns and thistles. That which was supposed to just pr- produce good vegetation and, and great things for us will now produce things that are harmful to us. Thistles are these little things that have, like, pokies on them. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Step on them. kind of sucks. Actually, when I was a kid, I thought that I discovered thistles. I picked one out of the ground and ran to my dad and said, I discovered a new cactus. And he said, nope. <laughs> That's a result of the fall. <laughs> um, so four relationships to ourselves, to God, to each other, and to the earth. But those aren't the only consequences of the fall. I cannot preach this message today without reading this, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of, of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony. The consequences of our sin is broken relationship, but the bigger consequence is life without God, is destruction, is real punishment. When I said that this message today is hard for me, this is the hard part. This is the hard reality of sin and our separation to God. Is that there isn't some neutral place for people. You're either with God or hell is a real place. Our sin separates us from God and brings upon us hell, destruction. So is it a big deal? Is it that bad? You tell me. So my last question, is there any hope? This message has been all bad. Somehow I've managed to chuckle, but it's been all bad. But it's true. It's hard, but it's true. It's real. We have to hear the bad news. If we want to understand the unfolding of God's full story, we have to know the bad news. If we don't know or believe the bad news, we wouldn't care to accept the remedy quote for the day. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Jesus said that. There's good news. This is the bad news, but there is good news. And there's good news uh, riddled in Genesis chapter 3. So there are signs of grace in the fall. God still clothes them. He punishes them and they get the consequences of their disobedience, but he's still their children. He still gives them skins to cover themselves. He still provide, he's, he still is their God. He still is their daddy. He still is their provider. There's signs of grace here. Eve still is the mother of all creation. He didn't reset here. Genesis 3.20 says that Eve will be the mother of all creation. They still spread, filled the earth with image bearers of God after this. And then in verse 15, the crushing of the head. This is a picture of Jesus. He tells the servant that one day the offspring of 
the mother of all creation, the offspring of Eve, will crush your head. This is the defeat of Jesus over Satan, over evil. I said earlier, Romans 5 has the, you know, or Genesis 3 has the story. Romans 5 has the exposition. Let's read the rest of that passage in Romans 5. I'll just read it. Just listen. Starting 15, but the gift is not like the trespass, talking about the sin coming through Adam. For if by the one man's trespass, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience they were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's the word of God. So there is hope. There is hope in Jesus, and there's signs of Jesus in, in Genesis 3, and there's signs of Jesus at the end. Paul tells us that because of Jesus, we can have life. Through the fall, we experience death, and we are in bondage to decay. We're in bondage to this death, but because of Jesus, we can have life, the life that is depicted to us in creation, depicted to us in the life of Jesus. And so where do we go from here? This is, like I said, this has been hard. We have hope, and I know for some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intellectuals out there, like, like me in some ways, this raises some hard questions. And the hard fact is I don't have a perfect answer for you for these questions on this side of heaven. Now, I, do, I could give you like book recommendations that help ease the blow um, and you know that kind of stuff, but I personally just want to welcome you, invite you, um, to have personal counsel. Like, I want to talk to you about this. We are a church that welcomes the hard questions. And so if you have, if you want to ask the hard questions about this passage specifically, I would love to talk to you about it. And it's going to be a long conversation probably. But this is what we know, is that God is God. God is good. He is all-knowing. He's outside of time. He's a loving God. He's a just God. And he's working things out for his good and our good. These things that we have to trust, the authority of our Father, the Father that cares for us and does give us a way for life. We're not just damned. We have a way in Jesus. And so there's four ways to respond to this. There's four ways we ought to respond to this. And the first is because of the fall, we must all repent. We must all repent and turn away from our sin. There's no such thing as a perfect person in here. You know, maybe you weren't a crazy, like, drug addict, prisoner before you came to Jesus, but you were broken. You were dead before you came to Jesus, and we need to repent and turn away from that life. The second is because of the fall. We must share this gospel with urgency. It's not just about you. That reality that we read in 2 Thessalonians is the reality for all people who don't accept Jesus as their God. And so for me, this, this ignites me to want to share the gospel with everybody with everybody to know the good news that they can have life, that they right now are experiencing death and are in bondage to decay and their destination is hell. But Jesus provides a different destination, a different way. Because of the fall, this number three, 
we must actively fight against our flesh. Once you trust in Jesus, the story is not over. We live in this now and not yet where we experience death still. We experience the hard things still. We still have to live among a culture that is not going towards God. We still have to live in a body that is in bondage to decay. So we must actively fight as fight against our flesh. As a Christian, you're called to bear fruit and abide in him. This is how we do that. This is how we fight the flesh. We're not just, we don't just trust in Jesus and then we're good. We're off to heaven. That's not how this works. And we're going to get more into that as we unfold the story, the one story of God, but it's, that's not how it works. We must still fight against our fleshly desires. And because of the fall, it's number four, we must turn our lives over to our better representative. Turn away from Adam, who ushered in death, and to Jesus, who ushers in life and peace and joy for us. And so every Sunday we take communion and remember exactly this. Remember and celebrate exactly this. If you're a Christian and didn't see on the inside, on, on your way in, there's communion cups. I welcome you to um, take communion with us. And I just want to encourage you to remember this and celebrate this, that once you were dead and now you are alive, once because of Adam and Eve, you experienced death and you were bringing death into your life and welcome to death into your life. But now you have life. You can live because of Jesus. And so remember, but celebrate and go from here with the confidence that God has given you life. The fall is scary and bad and sad and horrible news, but it's not without the best news that we have a savior. We have a representative, someone who goes before God and advocates for us and brings life to us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for convicting us. We thank you for um, showing us um, and providing us a way, God, to understand you and to um, be a part of your kingdom, God. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you um, for being our advocate, for being our representative, for being our justification before the Father, God. And we thank you that we can have eternal life. And God, for anyone in this room who has not trusted in Jesus for their salvation, God, I pray um, that you draw them, that you convict them, that you bring them near, um, that they can see the life without God, the life without you leads to death and destruction but that they can see not just that, that the beauty and the fullness that comes from life with you, Jesus. God, thank you for being so good to us and providing us a way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.